Money laundering has become a new norm in the art industry. Art auctions attract those who want to anonymously buy high-dollar paintings, and the system is so appealing because it allows large cash deals. The process of money laundering starts with a painting being bought in cash and immediately moved to a storage at a free port or security space near an airport, a tax haven storage unit. Then the painting is anonymously sold without leaving the storage unit, and the new buyer just picks it up. At this point, the original buyer turned into a seller and has the money from a legitimate business deal. In 2013, it's estimated that Geneva Freeport might hold $100 billion worth of U.S. art. ISIS oversees local digging groups in Iraq and in Syria. Once something is found, they get, they get sold the artifacts at a discounted price. They are then sold to middlemen who smuggle them out of the countries into Lebanon and Turkey. They make their way to warehouses in Europe to be sold to Western buyers. In 1970, a law was put into place to make it more difficult for mobsters and terrorists to launder money. Money laundering both benefits and harms our industry. The benefit is that artists are making lots of money off their artwork, but this tends to only benefit famous artists as they are the ones seen in big auction houses. The downsides are that most dealers only worry about keeping relationships with their big clients and discourage new ones. Congress can make galleries and auction houses report information about their customers and transa transactions. This could benefit the government in stopping laundering. Alistair Hicks, an experienced dealer and cartoonist, says, It's the small galleries in the middle that would be most affected. For the bigger galleries, this is nothing new. International dealers know the drill. Small to mid-sized galleries would get hurt from this and would have to spend a lot of money paying their employees to be trained to look out for suspicious transactions and dig out information about buyers. And most of these size galleries do not have the extra money to worry about this and would most likely have to close. The art industry today has become a way for dirty money to become clean through high-class artists. These artists don't seem to mind that their art is being used for this purpose. Is it taking away the meaning of true art? The wealthy have always been the group able to benefit from this industry, and with new regulations, the, di the diversity in the art world will only shrink. I think that one of the biggest holes in our world of art and literature is something that's unseen from the surface and something that's not typically talked about, the artistic wealth divide. The division between the common public's art and the elitist private art is one of the largest dividers between, um, between our artistic audience. Private costly museums shield art and send the message that it's something for the rich who have the time and money to take their normal days and spend at museums looking and commenting on pieces of art. One of the most interesting things I've ever heard about this topic was from an artist named M. Burgess that I met at the Elizabeth Foundation in New York City. She absolutely hated the idea of open studios and people parading in and out of a room or gallery simply to um, stare and chat up with their friends about what they're looking at. She felt like it was a definition of consumerist art or simply art for the appeal of those who could afford to be inside the gallery. So she ended up covering up all of her work with black paper and put red film over the window um, of her space so that New York City was her new art. This of course really confused those who came in to take a look and um, in a way took a real actionable step against the typical museum style gallery. One of the best ways to learn about this, though, is through an artist named Michael Ducamp. Ducamp. He was an artist from the 19th uh, to 20th century who revolutionary, re revolutionized the term of conceptual art. 
he created a piece called Fountain, where um, he found a urinal, signed to Arma, and dated it. He then entered the fountain as a joke into a salon, um, and he said that it was a commentary on how art seemed to be for and attract such a small group of people. And now, ironically, this piece of trash in his eyes is one of the most famous pieces of art in the world. With this in mind, we've kind of ended up in the pretentious elitist art world. So the question I'm really trying to explore here is, with the rise of costly museums, conceptual art, and literature that you have to pay for, are we able to at all revert back to populist art? Um, This debate happened most recently, or happened at one point in the 1930s, with the rise of fascism in Europe, which led um, to a led a ton of literary people to the left. The question was about whether political virtue was about writing about writing about and for the people as followers of the popular front, a communist-inspired group of leftists, or whether this radical and progressive work was too much for mass consumption. Um, what's really important to note, though, is that very few artists and writers make a conscious choice between elitism and populism, and in my opinion, the best artists and writers create what they want instead of sticking to some sort of formula or rule. Um, in a way, this is kind of contrary or contradictory due to the fact that the question we're exploring here is about whether art should appeal to all people or not. But really, in reality, those who become famous become famous because they are appealing to what they feel like is important and what matters at that time, no matter if that's for a small group of people or for um, the general public. In an interesting article by the New York Times, uh, they quote, The difference between elitism and populism might be better understood as a difference in a writer's attitude towards time. A popular writer is one at home with the conventions and expectations of the moment, which is why his work is immediately understood by many readers. But for that very reason, his popularity is likely to be short-lived. When was the last time you saw someone reading Christie by Catherine Marshall or The Eighth Day by Thornton Wilder? both top 10 sellers from 50 years ago. An elitist writer, on the other hand, is not one who desires only a small audience. Few writers have an interest in turning readers away. Rather, she is one whose vision of the world and style of expression are defamiliarizing, who does not reproduce the world in words but transforms it. This kind of writer appeals to relatively few contemporaries because um, she isn't giving them what they're used to, but she is more likely to appeal to readers over time as people learn new ways of seeing and recognize that this is another expression of the truth. The same thing happens in all artistic genres. Think of how impressionists went from scandal to dorm room poster in the course of a century. So there was kind of a lot there, but in a way, those who are elite tend to be both ahead of their time, but also understand how to take work and manipulate it into another form of the truth um while those who are appealing to the larger group are typically those who are really really just looking at what's there what's surface level um and have caught on to current trends or struggles of the larger group of people or larger democracy so this question has become ever more present especially um in my opinion in the era of trump but i feel like hopefully we'll slowly back to fade slowly fade back to um to a smaller question and hopefully art and museums um will end up back at a democratic appeal uh when biden comes into office 
And I think the last piece of this is really about educating or increasing education and exposure to the arts and literature because that's um, how, because I, I just think that's really what's most important.